Well, God loves saving sinners. It's what he loves to do. He loves saving sinners. And he always saves them um, ultimately in the same way. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. The Jesus we've been singing about all morning. Who died in the place of sinners and rose for sinners. And at the same time, God seems to love saving unlikely people in pretty unlikely sorts of ways. God is creative, you might say. We could sit around and share stories all day of interesting things the Lord used to draw us to himself. I remember hearing a story about, uh, from a guy one time who was in, at an ACDC concert, and he was singing Highway to Hell, and everybody around him was singing Highway to Hell, and all of a sudden he realized he was going to hell. And he remembered the words of a preacher that he had, he had heard. He hadn't been in church in years. And it scared him. And he ran out and he called a Christian friend who explained the gospel to him and he got saved. Or another guy who was sitting with his buddy and they were watching uh, an NFL football game. And somebody had a John 3.16 sign behind uh, the field goal post. And uh, the one buddy said, that's stupid Bible stuff. Nobody believes that. John 3.16. And his buddy was a Christian. And his buddy said, well, you know what John 3.16 says? He says, no. He goes, well, maybe you should read it. And he goes, ah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, later that night, he went home, found a Bible, started reading John, came to 3.16, and he got saved. Because <laughs> he said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. God saved him. Another friend who does uh, work uh, among the nations uh, told the story of a, of a Muslim family in Kurdistan who each member of the family on a particular night had a dream. And in the dream, each of the family members was told that they're supposed to cross the river in order to find living water. <laughs> they all came to breakfast the next day. They're like, I had this weird dream. They're like, I had a weird dream. I had a weird dream. And they all had the same exact dream. So they all said, we should probably cross the river. So they crossed a river that was nearby them and were out in this little shopping center, shopping area, and somebody gave them a Bible. And they took it home and they began to read it. And then when they moved to another place in Europe, they said, we need to find somebody. And they bumped into a Christian who opened the scriptures and showed them Jesus and the whole family believed. God loves saving sinners. And he does it in all sorts of ways. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. And he does it here in the book of Acts in a way that is unique and pretty glorious. This is where we're gonna pick it up. We'll start in verse 25, which is where we left off last time. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Now when they, who I take to be Peter and John and Philip, who were out there ministering in Samaria, had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to, uh, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What What prevents me from being baptized? And as he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I tried really hard to figure out some way to summarize this. And it was tricky for me, but this is what I came up with this morning. God often works in unusual ways to save unlikely people by his never-changing gospel. God often works in unusual ways to save unlikely people by his never-changing gospel. And I think one of the questions I'd like us to be wrestling with as we go through this text is, are you willing to be used by the Lord in this way? Are you eager and ready to say, yes, Lord, use me in whatever way you will for me to make the name of Christ known? We're going to have three headings this morning. The first will be that we are to follow the Spirit's lead. Follow the Spirit's lead. We'll see that in verses 25 through 31. Then secondly, in verses 32 through 35, we are to proclaim Jesus as Savior proclaim Jesus as Savior, and then finally, 36 through 40, respond to Jesus in faith. Follow the Spirit's lead, proclaim Jesus as Savior, and respond to Jesus in faith. Well, in this opening section here, no sooner than than Philip had returned to Jerusalem after ministering in these fruitful fields, as we saw last week in, in Samaria, an angelic messenger told him, pack up, it's time to roll out again. Verse 26, head to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke tells us this is a desert place. Now, Gaza here is it's the last water stop in southwest Israel. So if you've got a map, southwest Israel, last water stop before a highway that ran down through Egypt into Ethiopia. This is the last place for water. It's kind of one of those places when, when, uh, wherever Jasonsville is, he and I made a trip one time from West Virginia out to San Diego. And when we were somewhere just about to enter into the desert, there was one of those signs, no more gas for 150 miles. So you're like, ah, oh, we should stop right here. So this is, it's a popular place to stop here in, in, in Gaza. And, and I think just right out of the gate, one of the things we need to notice here is God often calls us to serve him in strange ways and strange places. I mean, 
Philip's being called to go down to this, this little border town that's just right by a desert. It's kind of the last, probably the last place on his, his radar at this time. But he is to be ready. Well, verse 27, he was. So he rose and he went. He obeyed God's word. And then the scene shifts from Philip to verse 27. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. So he had made the long trip up to Jerusalem from Ethiopia, and now he's, he's, he's heading back home. I think there's four important things just to notice about this, this man here. The first thing to notice is that he is He's from Ethiopia. He's from, he's from Ethiopia. So this would uh, be Cush in the Old Testament. If you ever see, if you come up, up, upon uh, a place called Cush, that's, that's Ethiopia. It stretched from, from southern Egypt down through modern-day Sudan. It would have included uh, modern-day Ethiopia as well. In the 8th century B.C., Homer uh, referred to that region of Ethiopia as the ends of the earth. So, so in, the, in the ancient world, this is as far as you can go, the ends of, of the earth. It's about 1,500 miles from Jerusalem to, to Ethiopia. One other thing about this, I think it's important to note because the Bible does, ethnicity is once again highlighted in the book of Acts. I just think it's important for us to notice this. The Bible does not mute racial, uh, ethnic, cultural realities of, of peoples. God, in fact, actually continually turns them up in the New Testament. He's like, no, 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 we need, to, we need to talk about this because these realities are the very dividing lines that, that divide our entire world. Wars are always around this, and it can be a temptation for the church, of course. That's, that's clear throughout history. But what God is doing through Christ is he's tearing down those walls, right? And he's bringing together a kingdom filled of very unlikely citizens from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And God keeps putting in our face, you need to see what he's doing. This is, this is why we keep bringing it up, because the Bible does. So he's from Ethiopia. Second thing to notice here is that he's an official. He's an official. He's from the royal court of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. So Candace wasn't her, her name, but it was a royal title, similar to like Pharaoh. It was a, it's a title. So this guy, he has what you might call a very privileged position. He is, he is in charge of all of her treasure. This guy would have been very prominent in his culture and very wealthy. All right? We know he's wealthy for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's traveling by chariot from Ethiopia to Jerusalem and then back again. I mean, I don't know what a 3,000-mile Uber trip costs, but, like, this is, this is expensive. Like, this is a, this is a big undertaking to take, to take this trip. To have a chariot who's going to take you up and back, that's going to be a lot of money. So this guy was, he was very wealthy. Um, secondly, you'll notice, did you hear, what was he doing while he was, he was riding along? He's reading. He had his own copy of Isaiah. Now, for most of us, you're like, okay, you bring your Bible on a trip. No, no, no. In these days, you, you don't have a scroll. They are very, very rare and super duper expensive. 
They, they, they are kept in the temple and in the synagogues. That's the only place that you have them. If you want to hear God's word, you've got to go there and, or you gotta, and you got to memorize it. So for him to have this was extraordinary, which should also just be a side note for us. The very fact that you may even had to choose which Bible you were going to bring this morning and just the fact that we're giving them away here, to whom much is given, much is required. This is, this is a, a privilege that we have to have access to God's word like we do. Right now, there's brothers and sisters around the world who, who can't have copies of God's word. If they're caught with it, they die. Let us steward that, that opportunity well. One thing just to notice about this guy being uh, an official and being wealthy, last week we saw somebody else who was wealthy, right? Simon the magician, but he was blinded by his wealth and his power, but not this man. This man's heart is tender toward the Lord, and he, he sees that there's a treasure beyond anything that the world can give him. He's not content to stay down with the gods of Ethiopia. He wants to go and he wants to seek the true God of Israel. He's not blinded by his wealth. So he's from Ethiopia, he's an official, and he's a eunuch. This means he's been castrated in order to serve as an official who's going to have close access to both the queen and the harem. So this, is, this was a practice that was common to ensure that uh, no shenanigans would be taking place that would threaten the dynasty. Um, we're going to have more on why that's significant here in just a moment. And then finally, we notice that he's a worshiper. He's a worshiper. Verse 27, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. This man had made a pilgrim, pilgrimage up to Jerusalem to worship. It's probably oriented around one of the three major festivals. There were two in the spring and one in the fall. And, and oftentimes, people would make a long trip to go to these feasts or festivals in order to celebrate what God had done. This man was what you might call, and what's commonly called, a God-fearer. He was a non-Jew who believed in the God of Israel. But he was also a eunuch. Now, that's significant because Deuteronomy 23.1 uh, would tell us that he would have been prohibited from participating fully in, in worship. He would have been either limited to the, the court of the Gentiles or um, he would have had to have been relegated out to a, to a synagogue. Yet, this man still went. He still believed that, that this God was worthy of worship, and he, he went to, to worship him. But he would, have been, he, would have, he would have felt like an outcast in some sense. Not only because he's an Ethiopian, because he was a eunuch. In one sense, he's really one of the last guys you would think that would show up in Jerusalem to worship, but, but he was. Now, during the long road trip back, notice... What's he doing again? He's reading the scriptures. So rather than binge watching a bunch of shows or just streaming music all the way home, that's not what he's doing. Rather, verse 28, he opens and reads the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Verse 30 tells us that he read it out loud. This is a common practice to help with focus, which by the way, I encourage you if you have a hard time reading the Bible, read it out loud. It, it does help you to focus. It also assists with, with, with memorizing. It's one of the reasons they would do it. Just a, a brief word on this, by the way. I want to encourage you to not, not choke out what you hear on Sunday mornings. 
but to fan it into flame. Fan into flame what you receive in our gatherings on Sunday mornings or anytime you go to a Bible study or when you're reading. This, this man came to this religious gathering and he left thinking about it. Jesus warns that there is spiritual warfare going on right now where Satan wants to snatch seeds away, these seeds of the word that go out, wants to snatch it away. And I tell you what, there's nothing like going home for the rest of the day and just vegging out on entertainment or whatever else it may be that can choke out what you heard. I'm not saying don't go home and watch some NFL playoffs or whatever your thing is. What I am saying, though, is make sure that you spend time considering the things that you've heard. Ask God to show you, what do you want me to think about? How can we talk about it over, over a meal? This man's heart is, is primed for a divine appointment. And that's what happens, verse 29. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked him, do you understand what you are reading? So Philip is led by the Holy Spirit to approach this stranger. We don't know if he heard an audible voice. We don't know if it was some sort of subjective uh, urging. But he knew the Spirit prompted him to do so. How many of you have ever had that, that feeling before? When you were somewhere and you're like, I'm supposed to talk to this person. Or I'm supposed to call this person. Or I'm supposed to reach out to this person. The, the Lord will do that often. Now, we don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he's a little bit nervous. Uh, I mean, I get nervous in those, how am I going to start the conversation? To be like, God sent me over here to talk to you. Like, that's super, that could, be, that could feel strange, right? So how, what's he going to do? Well, as he approaches, he notices here that the Ethiopian is reading from a well-known passage of Scripture. And by God's grace, he asks a great question. Do you understand what you're reading? In verse 31, he says, the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. So that's what you call an open door in evangelism. <laughs> All right, tell me how I can be, how do I read this part of the Bible? So the Ethiopian here, he's aware that he needs help. God's doing something in him. But he, but he knows that he's reading the scriptures. The more he's reading, the more questions that he has. So he engages with Philip in this, this dialogue. This, by the way, is, is part of my own story with the Lord. I had a, a friend named Dave who came down and shared the gospel with me at, at, a, at a party. And um, for weeks after that, Dave would send me passages of Scripture for me to read. And I was not a Christian at this time, but I was, I was becoming interested in the Bible. So I used to take those passages. I opened up the Bible. I would smoke a blunt. Then I would turn on my black light, and I would sit down, and I would highlight it. And I would read it. And I would send him very strange emails. Uh, <laughs> about all these things that I was learning and coming up with and making up my own religion a little bit too and along the way. Um, but he kept sending more, me more Bible and he kept talking to me. And he said, he told me later, he's like, I did not want to keep talking to you. You were saying the weirdest stuff and you were making up all kinds of things. And I thought, there's no way this guy's ever going to get it. But he said, the Lord would not leave me alone. He said, I just felt like God would not leave me alone, alone about you. He kept bringing your mind to pray. He kept prompting me to send verses, so I just kept doing it. It's a similar sort of situation, minus the illegal drugs, um, but this is what's happening here. He's, he's wrestling, and he doesn't know what he's reading, and he needs somebody to help him. 
which by the way, that's one of the reasons that I stopped smoking weed, is because God was convicting me. I would read something and I couldn't remember it. I couldn't walk away and I didn't feel like I had a sharper understanding of God's word. It was, it was hindering me from understanding. It's one of the reasons I threw it away and never picked it up again by God's grace. But, but what we need to see here is that God is sovereignly building his church. The church is not just left alone to her own wisdom and strength. He is actively moving here. And in, in the book of Acts, we see the Lord work through various means to build his church. I mean, he even begins Acts 1-8 with right, the command, go and be witnesses. So we all have that command, go be witnesses. But as we are going out doing, the, if you will, the normal work of, of praying and talking to people, setting up meetings, having friends over, having neighbors over, talking to them about the Lord and, and sharing the gospel, we also see that the Holy Spirit does some pretty unique things along the way. He's not always doing this, but we see God uses persecution in chapters five through eight to move the gospel out. We have angelic messengers. We're gonna have the Spirit's direct guidance here. There's gonna be revelatory visions and dreams like we even heard about uh, from that family uh, in, in the opening illustration. The Lord can and does still work in these ways today. He most normally is building his church through, if you will, the normal means that I talked about with prayer, planning services, evangelism, all this sorts of thing. But he's not limited by anything other than his own will and his own good pleasure. And, and I think as we watch this, we see God's providence is impossible to miss right here. Philip is sent out at just the right time to just the right place to happen upon this guy who's rolling by reading Isaiah the prophet out loud. Right? And it just so happens that the passage he's reading is like the text you would want somebody to be reading from the Old Testament to say, is Jesus anywhere in the Old Testament? It's, it's the Lord has arranged this. This is why I want to start here and take some, some extra time in this, this first section, is that we are to follow the Spirit's lead. As the gospel is going out, we should follow the Spirit's lead. We do this by praying that God would open doors, we do this by obeying clear commands in the scripture, including the command to evangelize. So remember, evangelism, sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus and helping them follow Jesus is not an elective in the Christian life. It's, it's part of what it means to follow Jesus. As one friend would even say, if, if, you, if you say you're following Jesus, but you aren't helping other people follow Jesus, the Bible doesn't know what you mean when you say you're following Jesus. Like that's part of what it means to be a Christian, is that you love him, and because you love him, you wanna tell others about him. So that's, we're following the spirit, being led by him as we're doing that on the, on the normal. Also, we're resisting temptation so we're not grieving the spirit and quenching the spirit. And, this is gonna make some of you feel uncomfortable, we should be surrendered to subjective guidance from the spirit. Knowing that the spirit can indeed work. And this is not some kind of hyper-mysticism or anti-intellectualism, but we must, be, we must be open and willing to be led. Philip here relied on the Holy Spirit, and he walked through an open door of God's providence. God, indeed, as we look through Acts, is building his church through ordinary and extraordinary means. In fact, there's about 20 times that you'll note through the book of Acts that God does something you're like, that's, that's weird. <laughs> That's strange. That's not, that's not normal, if you will. 
And I would just want to challenge us as a, as a congregation to say, are you, are you open and ready for God to use you in any way? Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, speaking of the way that God will sometimes move subjectively uh, by his spirit, used the Ethiopian eunuch, actually, as an example. He said, if you read the history of God's people, uh, this is his take after the Ethiopian eunuch uh, explaining. He says, if you read the history of God's people throughout the centuries, and especially the history of revivals, you will find something which is perfectly clear and definite. Men have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and it transpired that it obviously was his leading because of what happened. It seems clear to me that if we deny such a possibility, we are again guilty of quenching the Spirit. Listen, this church loves the Bible. We believe the Bible is sufficient for all we need, including the reminder that sometimes God moves in ways that are outside of our box. And I would just challenge us to know God will never lead you to do something that is in contradiction to his word. But I want to encourage us to pray, Lord, I'm open to anything that you would have me do to make Jesus known to whomever, wherever, whenever, and be surrendered. Do not use your theology as an excuse to be hardened to God's leading to share the gospel with people that he would have you to speak with. Happy to talk with you more about that afterwards. Second thing, proclaim Jesus as Savior. So we are to follow the Spirit's lead as Philip did here. He was led down, sat in the, in the, uh, in the chariot with this, this Ethiopian, and they are just, they are, they are talking about it. Well, verse 35, we are to proclaim Jesus as Savior. Verse 32, sorry. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does a prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him about the good news about Jesus. The passage that our friend here is pondering is none other than Isaiah 53. Again, if you're going to pick any text in the whole Old Testament for a seeker, someone who's desiring to learn more about God to read with the hope of telling them about Jesus from it, uh, this one would be one of them. Because Isaiah is filled with prophetic revelation about the Savior who is to come to rescue the world from sin and from death. And, and, and though, as you're reading through, particularly this section, you're going to come across a mystery. In Isaiah 53, we see that the, the king is coming who is going to rule over the enemies, but this king, he will suffer and die. How can a dead king rule over enemies? How can that happen? Well, that's exactly the quote that he's wrestling with here. He's looking at Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, which describes the, the unjust serve, uh, suffering of, of this, this servant. And he's, he's perplexed. He wants to know, who is Isaiah talking about? Well, Philip does here 
what every Christian should grow in their ability to do. You don't just learn to do this right away. You need to grow in it. But he, verse 35, opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He said, friend, here's what you got to know. Isaiah, he's talking about Jesus. You see, when, when Isaiah 53, 2 says this one had no form or majesty or beauty that we should desire him, he was speaking about Jesus. The Jesus who set aside his glory and who came among us, who was born of a lowly virgin, who was raised in a poor family in a small outcast town. He's the one who during his ministry had, had no place to lay his head. He's the one who Pilate brought out with a crown of thorns on his head, with blood staining his face and, and, and wounds all over his body, which Pilate said, behold your king. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. That's who Isaiah is talking about. And then Isaiah 53 says, this one who is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Isaiah was speaking about, about Jesus. Jesus who came and, and showed love and, and had compassion and, and healed the sick and had good news of the kingdom of God, yet rather than be loved, he was loathed. Rather than be received, he was rejected. And like Jeremiah, he was a man of sorrows because he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Or in Isaiah 53, 5, when it says this, this one was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities, he was, he was speaking of Jesus who was nailed to a, a Roman cross and hung high on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Not because he was a criminal who transgressed God's law, but because we are criminals who transgressed God's law and deserve judgment to, 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 to die. He says it was, it was his death that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. His blood, his blood paid it all for us. They'll even make a song about that someday. He paid it all, all to him we owe. He'd say, Isaiah 53, 7 says, this one who was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb who's led to the slaughter. He's speaking about Jesus, who John the Baptist said, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was oppressed, yet when he was oppressed, Peter will tell us elsewhere, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He'd say, friend, Isaiah's talking about Jesus. He's doing it in 53.8 when he says, this one whose life is taken away from the earth. He's speaking of Jesus who came to the earth, but then was killed, put in the earth, but then rose up from the grave, and now has ascended and will someday soon and very soon, maybe even interrupting the service, return to judge all people, including you and me. And he would say, there is hope for us because he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He'd say, friend, this passage that you're reading, it's about Jesus. And he, maybe he showed him more, maybe he showed him, now listen, there's, this is, there's even more for you here. Isaiah 11 says the Messiah's kingdom, in it the Lord will extend his hand to recover the remnant from the ends of the earth. You remember what Homer said about the Ethiopians, they come from where? The ends of the earth. He's talking about you. You're in the Bible. And you'd be really in the Bible. He wouldn't know that there. But Isaiah 19 speaks of a day when the highway, there'll be a highway 
just like he's about to step on. There's going to be a highway that's going to run from Egypt to Assyria when those who are far off will come in to worship the Messiah, including people from Cush, from Ethiopia. You see the highway you're about to go on? There's another highway. The Lord Jesus paved with his blood, and he welcomes you to come on it. Follow me to heaven. So that's what he's going to do, Isaiah 53, by his suffering servant, who Isaiah 54 says he will bring a new covenant of peace that will never be removed, followed by Isaiah 55, which promises that God's word will come out and it will not return void as it makes a new creation in which Isaiah 56 foretells will be filled with redeemed from all sorts of backgrounds, including, thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house. He says, eunuch, you may never be able to have children of your own, but there's a day coming and the Lord's going to bring you into a land where you will be among the children of God and you will sorrow no more. And he could have said, you know, you've made this pilgrim up to Jerusalem, but everything that you saw there is intended to point you to Jesus. Every feast, every festival, every Sabbath, every bit of it, all the law, the prophet, it's all intended to serve your heart, to show you that Jesus is what you're looking for. He's the answer, which I would say this morning for you, if you don't come from that background, you're like, I didn't even know Isaiah was in a book. Isaiah's a friend of mine. But you, but you know God's been doing something else in your life. I just want you to know you are not here. There's no such thing as luck or chance. God calls it providence. He owns every schedule. He owns everything that's ever happened. Some of y'all thought you came here to see a baptism of somebody. That may be true. Praise God. We're excited about that in just a moment. But the Lord has more. He wants you to know him. Some of you came here just because you're curious. Maybe your life's falling apart. There's 10 billion different reasons that might have brought you here to the hearing of this good news about Jesus, but I want you to know Jesus is what you're looking for. He's the answer. I think for us, we have both a lesson from the evangelist and the eunuch here. The first is we see that God's word must be central in our explaining and our seeking. That's the lesson. We see it from both of them. Philip models for us what it means to be a witness for Jesus. Evangelists simply point people to Jesus as he is revealed in the scriptures and call them to believe. That's all he does. He's pointing and says, this is about Jesus. Believe in him. So whether you've been a believer, whether you're a brand new believer or you've been a believer for many years, I want to encourage you, grow in your understanding of how to point people to Jesus. One of the best ways to do this is to regularly read the Bible with people who aren't Christians yet. Invite people to read the Bible. Ask them, say, hey, I'd love to get together and learn more about what's going on in your world, and I'd love to read through a couple chapters from the Bible, and I want to hear what you think. I'd love to hear your opinion. And what that's going to do, it's going to give them opportunity to hear the gospel. It's also going to give you opportunity to learn more about them as a friend so you can know how to walk with them through all the things you're going to be facing. And it can also give you an opportunity to see afresh how Jesus is the answer to everything. So I encourage you to be doing that. 
That's a normal thing for Christians to be doing. I would also say, if you're trying, if you come here as a seeker this morning, you're, and you're trying to learn more about God's word, the eunuch here would remind us to read God's word. This is one of the best things you can do. A number of years ago, Greg and I, Greg was not always a Christian, believe it or not, if you don't know Greg. Uh, well, anyway, Greg was far from the Lord, just like many of us. And uh, he and I started meeting up and we read through the Gospel of John for six months. And he had some good questions and he had some crazy questions, just like all of us do. But you know what? Um, a friendship developed, praise God. Um, but he kept coming back and kept reading God's Word because he saw there was something in there that was true that he couldn't run from. And God used his, his word. So I'd encourage you, if you want to learn more about what it means to, to seek Jesus, talk to Greg, talk to any of the others around here. We would love to help you read through, through God's word. Well, finally, we see here we are to respond to Jesus in faith. We are to respond to Jesus in faith. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, evidently, part of Philip's explanation to the Ethiopian eunuch about, what it, about the way that Jesus fulfills this and what happens once you become a Christian was describing to him that once you become a believer, you are to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism. We're going to see baptism here in just a, a few moments, Lord willing, where our sister's going to come up into the water and she's going to testify what God has done in her life. And you're going to see her go down and be brought back up as a picture of as Jesus went into the grave, so he came up. Water, a symbol of cleansing. The actual act of baptism doesn't save anybody. It doesn't cleanse you from your sins. It's faith in Jesus that does. But Christians are baptized to publicly say, I'm united with him. As Christ died, so I died. As Christ is alive, so I am alive, and I am, I am new in him. So that would have been part of the explanation. Uh, because baptism is, is the way into the church. So if you're going to be aligning with God's people, we all need to publicly say, I'm with him. Well, Philip's got the right, he's got it right. So he's like, all right, wait, wait, I'm believing. He's believing, right? And he says, I see some water. Let's go. It's time, for, stop the bus. It's time for a baptism. <laughs> we are ready to go. And, uh, and, and indeed they do. Now, you may notice some of you, um, there's no verse 37 in most of your Bibles. Notice that? You're like, these guys can't count. Um, well, verse 37, um, most of you will then also have a note at, at the bottom there uh, that says something like, some manuscripts include, he said to him, if you believe with your whole heart, uh, you may, may be baptized, that is. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, I want to be clear, um, that part that's in the manuscript, we don't have like missing Bible, okay? Um, that, that, that part there is not, most certainly not uh, part of the original, um, but it was something that a scribe put in early, likely, uh, because there are some manuscripts that, that have that. Now, 
Side note, if you're interested in learning more about can you trust the Bible and why, is, why are these sorts of things here and all of that, Jason Seville, one of our pastors, did an excellent um, lesson during the equipping hour on can you trust the Bible, New Testament reliability, all that, and we have some other people in our midst who'd be glad to talk with you about that, okay? Um, but the reason a scribe would, why would a scribe maybe put that in there early on in the church's history, which by the way, Scribes should not have done that. This is bad, okay? Um, but why would he maybe do that? Well, because there were questions about what happens here, like the same sort of questions that I got from my kids last night whenever I read this text. Questions like, why did Philip baptize the man right away and we don't do that at our church? Why didn't he send him back to be baptized in a church? Those are really good questions. Great questions. Well, um, I think... He baptizes this guy right away because it is, it's crystal clear to him that this guy is indeed is a believer. Um, there is a, there's a case-by-case basis that we would take uh, professions of faith and when you're going to baptize somebody. Uh, what we're going to see as you go through Acts that there's not an explicit pattern. The, the New Testament, uh, the book of Acts, uh, is descriptive, not always prescriptive, okay? Um, one of the things that we're seeing happening in the book of Acts, however, is that as the gospel is coming out, you have people who are coming from very clearly non-Christian backgrounds. They're worshiping all kinds of other gods. Their allegiances publicly are very clear as to who these other gods are. Well, when someone gets converted then, and they make, the, their conversion is clear. Now, can you baptize somebody who's not a believer? Could that happen? It did last week. It Simon the Magician. Simon himself was baptized. So there, there can be mistakes in this. Time will prove, okay? Um, but, but in this situation, this guy, his, his, con, yeah, his conversion was evidently clear. Um, I would say in our context here, one of the things that's difficult is we are in a country uh, where, yeah, there's very little persecution compared to persecution uh, throughout the world. And sometimes it's even advantageous to be a Christian. Same things with sometimes if you're raised in a Christian home. Uh, it, it can look like it's hard to tell. Are you, are you responding because every time you say, hey, Jesus, there's, there's applause or what? It's hard to sift through. So we don't want to be too slow in baptizing somebody. But we also want to try and do it with wisdom. We're happy to talk with you uh, more about that. But we do believe in baptism, as we'll see this morning. And this guy was evidently clearly converted, and so he was indeed baptized. Well, but hold up, why didn't Philip send him back to the church uh, in Ethiopia in order to get baptized there? Because why? Ain't no church in Ethiopia yet. <laughs> there ain't no, there's no church there. So he's being baptized and he's being sent back as a missionary. He's going to go back doing the same thing Philip just did for him. He's going to go down there and Lord willing, he will make Christ known. Okay? Um, that's, that's why. Now, uh, Another interesting thing, you'll notice that happened to Philip, right? So right after he baptized him, he came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Then down in verse 40, he found himself here at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's weird. <laughs> all right? I mean... What happened? <laughs> One of the kids last night, did he teleport? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. He disappeared, whatever that means. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, but it, it's clear that the spirit who had led him there moved him there and evidently saved him some time by transporting him. I don't know, okay? 
you're like, oh, that's crazy. No, that's not the craziest thing we believe. We believe a whole lot crazier stuff than that, okay? We believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, okay? And if he can rise from the dead and create a world out of nothing, then I promise you this is, this is not, not a bad deal, okay? He can do this. I would also say to that, you know, when somebody says, well, this is the reason we do spontaneous baptism because of this right here. We see he's baptized right away. I'd say, okay, <laughs> baptism spontaneously can be normative as soon as disappearing deacons are. Like, I just don't think that's, that's just not, I, I mean, unless there's well-intended people who have that view and I'm not poking fun at them. I just want to say the way we read the Bible needs to be consistent. We can't just pick things out here and there that we want and we're going to try our best, our best to do that. But Philip, again, he, di he disappeared. And he found himself here in this other region, and he's, he's preaching. And he went on his way proclaiming the gospel there. And then the Ethiopian eunuch, what did it say that he did? He went on his way rejoicing. He was burdened as he was riding in that, that chariot, reading the word and feeling the conviction and, and having the confusion. But then the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ shined in and showed him what his heart had been longing for. And he was free. He was free because now he's got a treasure that's better than anything he's going to get when he goes back to Ethiopia. He's got a peace that passes understanding. He now is a child of God who knows the hope that he's been searching for every time he's made that trip to Jerusalem. Christ is his hope, is his joy, is his life. And he goes forth with great joy. Well, that is the reason that we've gathered today. We've gathered to proclaim the name of Jesus and to call anybody who's here who hasn't turned from their sin and trusted in Christ to, to believe upon this Jesus and know this peace and this joy that passes understanding. And I want to promise you, hard things do not stop happening once you come to Christ. Sometimes they increase. But the Lord Jesus will be with you in the midst of all of it. And whether it's this church or another gospel-preaching church, we want to help walk with you through that. We would love to talk with you more about that. For the rest of us, as we go, three brief encouragements. First, would you ask the Spirit to arrange divine appointments for you? Ask the Spirit to arrange divine appointments for you. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, pray that the Lord would open for us a door for the Word. God, would you open a door? Would you set up divine appointments? Would you, would you arrange circumstances and situations in ways that can only be explained by you? God, would you set up opportunities for me to share the gospel with people? Secondly, stay close to Jesus through his word. Read the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. Grow in your understanding of them. Read them regularly. When there's something you don't understand, that's part of what we, we, we're together as a family for. Reach out. We want to help you to understand how to read the Bible all the better. Stay close to Christ because as you are, you will love him, and as you love him, you will want to tell others about him. And then finally, obey God as he opens doors for the gospel. I mean, what if Philip had been like, you know, I don't think so. That's, that sounds kind of weird to me. I'm not going to know. It must be just, it must have been Taco Bell. That's something that's not the Lord. Like, I'm, that's not what he did. He obeyed God's word, and he obeyed the, the leading of the Spirit. May we be a church that our prayer is, Lord, use us. No matter what, it's, what it is, use us. I think God would do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask for or imagine. May God do that for his glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your word.
Oh, Father, we thank you that, that in it, Christ is revealed. Thank you that he is glorious, that he is the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament. And Lord, we pray that you would meet us wherever we are right now, whether, whether we know you and have known you for a long time, or whether we don't know you yet, that you would meet us there, and by your spirit, that you would convict us and draw us unto to Christ. And Lord, I pray for us as a congregation that we would be surrendered, that we would be willing to be used in any way that you would, would have us. Oh God, would you magnify yourself through us? Would you set up divine appointments even today, maybe even through meeting neighbors in the midst of the snow and shoveling snow, or whether it be this week at work or at the grocery store or whatever it may be, God, would you set up divine appointments and would you burden us by your spirit and would you help us to not excuse it away and would you help us to be courageous and to lean on you and would you help us to read your word that we'd be able to discern you all the more and would you help us to have conviction about Christ and Lord, would you help us to make his name known. We thank you for him. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.